The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Spring training has begun and we are still rolling here on the In The Pen Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the In The Pen Podcast. I am Callan, joined with always by Rick and Jake. Guys, everyone's reported spring training. Spring is in the air. There's already been injury news and luckily it has not really impacted the bullpens, but that doesn't mean anything's still as unclear as ever. So what's going on? How are you guys doing today? Doing great, yeah. So far, there's only been pretty, I mean, I'd say good news when it comes to relievers and bullpens. So, no, that I can think of, no bad, uh, no no injuries so far. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well, too. Excited to finally start watching some spring training games. It doesn't really feel like spring has come. I think it's snowing in some parts of the Bay Area right now, which never happens, like, once every 50 years so doesn't really feel like spring yet but we're, we're getting there with uh baseball on the horizon yeah meanwhile i'm out in pennsylvania and hit almost uh, 70 today so to me it's starting oh. to feel it but knowing how this weather's been we're gonna get to this weekend it's gonna drop down to probably in the 30s so it's the randomness of uh of this sort of weather but it's exciting like you said we're gonna watch some spring training games by the time you're listening to this on friday we got some games coming this weekend we'll see some of our players play we got the world baseball classic in about a week or two so it's gonna be a lot of fun i'm really really looking forward to it but on this episode we are going to of course get into some news even though there's very very little to get into and kind of dive into some of our favorite sleeper picks we've each picked about three four guys who we're really looking into past pick 250 that we're looking to try and get on our teams that we're intrigued by and then with PL8 coming out this over this past week, we're going to dive into the, one of the newest features with PLV and the PL projections. Talk about some uh, standouts in both of those things that you should keep an eye on, monitor as the season goes on. So without further ado, let's get into the news. And it's going to, like I said, be very quick. The biggest headline in terms of free agent signing. Justin Wilson signs a one-year, $1 million deal with the Milwaukee Brewers. We'll make no this quick way. and simple. Jake, Rick. Do we care? Um, not really. I mean, it gives them. I'm, I'm blanking. I don't think they had any other lefties in their bullpen. Um, so I guess it gives them a, a lefty option. So we, I guess there's a good chance he makes the, the opening day roster. But um, yeah, nothing, nothing really to see here at the moment. Totally agree. This is uh, not much of a needle mover on any front whether fantasy or real life so not much to get excited about 
Perfect. And the only other terms of us signing Jose Alvarado since we last recorded, actually the day we recorded last week, he signed a three-year, $22 million extension with the Philadelphia Phillies. We went on that show about how the the extension Sir Anthony Dominguez signed was going to impact the Phillies pen, which made some people like him more than others to lead the team in saves. Does Jose Alvarado kind of eat into that? Does this give you more confidence for him in terms of uh, being higher in a pecking order Philly, or does it have any impact on how you're viewing that pen? Um, doesn't really do much. Uh, just quick note on Justin Wilson, just to clarify, he's coming off Tommy John surgery, so he's probably not going to be available until late in the year anyway. Um, so yeah, definitely nothing to see there. Um, Alvarado, I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of, I guess the only, you know, thing that's interesting about this extension is it kind of, I, I guess it can close the argument that Sir Anthony's extension means that he's, you know, it doesn't really help it support his argument that he'll be the closer because he was extended so um i think both of those guys see time closing out games at the end of the and you know back end of the bullpen but um you know good good for the phillies locking up two of their somewhat younger you know relief talents it's definitely somewhat confusing in regards to who's going to close out games because i was the one who was sort of considering that dominguez extension as the case in point as to him being the closer going into next season. But I, I still think because Alvarado's a lefty and he probably has the least closer experience among the the four guys set for that role that I still think he's on the outside looking in. I would agree. Probably puts him right in that same spot up there. He's going to be the setup guy. They have the lefty, so they can throw him some saves, but I think he's going to be using that fireman type role, get the big lefty out kind of like he was during the the postseason for Philadelphia. So if there's anything else I'm missing, we still have a couple free agents thrown out there. Just real quick, Brad Hand, Zach Britton, Will Smith, and Corey Knable are still sitting out there in free agency. Those are some names to monitor at this point because if they go to a team that is in relievers, I know Zach Britton's getting some buzz in terms of uh, teams being interested in him. He had to work out, I believe, last week for some interested teams, so maybe he'll get some value. Keep an eye on those guys as we move forward. And always with spring training, there's going to be a an injury or two that's going to hurt us that where teams going to have to scramble to get a closer. And I think we could uh, we could see one of those guys step into one of those spots. But since, like we said, the news has been fairly quick and easy, we're going to dive into some of our sleepers. We took the ADP from the NFBC over the past month since the beginning of February. Past 250, we're considering a sleeper just for an under-the-radar name that you're looking for. We've each thrown out about three, so Rick, we'll start with you. Give me your first sleeper that you're looking at for this coming season. Yeah, I'll go with one that's kind of hovering around that you know draft line, and uh, that's Daniel Hudson, who's probably been drafted in most leagues. Um, you know, I think there's been a lot of buzz about Evan Phillips, and yeah, he might be. He probably is the best reliever for the for the Dodgers, but. Uh, you know, Hudson still, he, you know, he's coming off a torn ACL last year at his age, and that's obviously not great. And, you know, tons of competition in the Dodgers bullpen. But, you know, Hudson, what he's been able to do the past two two seasons, uh, you know, he's been to 27.4% K to walk rate over the past two seasons. It's seventh best among relievers with, you know, 60 innings pl- plus over that span. And that's in cate- like the categories of, you know, the top closers in the game. Um, 
17.5% swing strike rate last year. He's still good. It's, Evan Phillips is, is awesome too, but you know, I think people are sleep, sleeping on the veteran there who's, who's Hudson and, you know, a, a good point. Um, you know, Phillips didn't get a chance to really close out games at the end of the year last year when Kimbrell struggled. They they never really they never made that switch to him, which kind of seemed logical. I mean, I, I was thinking it was going to happen. It's something like eventually, like they're going to they're going to Phillips is going to start closing out games, and it, it just never ended up happening. So, um, I wonder if they just see him as a as a best fit for a setup role, or you know, just being used earlier in games. So so I think I think Hudson's still the favorite to to to, to close out games and. He's still a bargain where he's being drafted right now. Yeah, I really like what the you said with Hudson. The fact that he's been used as the closer in the past, especially with Washington during the uh, their World Series run, it has me intrigued. Currently in the NFBC, he's going at pick three thirty seven, so pretty late in terms of those sort of drafts. Pretty much free in your twelve teamers. So if you're looking for a late round value with saves, uh, that's someone you should uh, you should keep an eye on. Jake, you got anything else you want to add for Hudson or then you can get into your top uh, sleeper option for this year? It's pretty crazy that Hudson is getting uh, looked at for saves at the age that he's at. He's 36 right now. So I don't think many expected Daniel Hudson to be closing out games for a Dodgers team at any point in the mid 2020s, but we're getting very close to that being a reality and I think he's just going really late because there's some good options in that bullpen that also have the ability to close out games. But yeah, Rick made some great points. There's just the possibility that this could turn to a committee. Yeah, I think that's probably what's going to happen. But I I think I, I'm guessing I'm taking his value compared to where Phillips is going. I, I, Phillips is going at least 50 picks higher. So I, I just think... I, I if I'm going to take a chance on one of the, one of them, I'm going to wait and take Hudson. Yeah, Phillips currently is going at pick two sixty three in NFBC uh, yeah. over the past month. So like you said, oh, well, now right around that seventy five pick difference. So I think the value to try and get the uh, the leader for a obviously really good Dodgers team can be a uh, definitely worth looking into. Jake, we'll pivot over to you. Who is your top sleeper for the twenty twenty three season? I've got an interesting one that I uncovered while scrolling through Twitter and it's Reynaldo Lopez. I've got some backers on this one, not only pitcher lists own Alex fast, but also driveline and many others I think are sort of buying into Reynaldo Lopez having the ability to close out games. I think he clearly has the ability. He was really good last year as he finally broke out officially as a reliever. He was pretty solid in 2021, but 2022 saw a 2.76 ERA, a 0.95 whip, and a near 25% strikeout rate. That looks even better when you put it next to his 4.3% walk rate. So he's really good at limiting walks, and he's pretty solid at striking guys out. And he's amazing at limiting home runs. I think that's uh, where he was probably the most lucky. Uh, and you can see that in the difference between his FIP and XFIP. His FIP was sub two, but his XFIP was around 3.25. So a big difference there, but I still think Raylo could be really good. He's been at driveline this off season. So he's been working on his stuff. I think the biggest thing was working on his slider and making it more consistent, but also working a little bit on a, on a third pitch because his 
four seamer and his slider are both really good. I think that four seamer is in the 92nd percentile of PLV, which is really good. And the slider is in the 60th percentile, but it does a really good job at getting a swings out of the zone and, and should improve a little bit after his time at driveline. But the biggest thing is that clearly the White Sox are in need of a closer with Liam Hendricks dealing with the ramifications of going through cancer treatment. And his main competition is Kendall Graveman, who sort of fell off last year after a really good 2021. And the fact that there's not too much competition leads me to believe that if Reynaldo Lopez can either continue his success from last year or even take a step forward because of his work this offseason, he could be a really dark horse closer candidate for a team that has playoff aspirations, meaning he would get lots of save opportunities. And if he takes over that role early, he could get close to 30 saves. I'm I'm really starting to lean into him being the White Sox saves leader for the year, which is would be pretty crazy, especially after pick 420. He's going average pick 421 right now in, in NFBC. So it's a really late dart. This is a guy that you use as like one of your final picks in a 15 team league. And hopefully he garner some saves early on so you could don't have to uh stash him for too long but definitely an intriguing option at this point in the draft season he's someone who like you said fantasy twitter has been going crazy in terms of him right now and it is intriguing it's definitely making me take a second glance in that i've been kind of on the kendall graveman ship uh ship all off season in terms of who's going to lead the white Sox and saves and I don't know if I'm ready to jump ship yet. I think I'm still going to lean Kendall Graveman, but at that value, like you said, the White Sox are going to be playoff competitive and Ronaldo Lopez has been getting so much hype that it's going to make it interesting. I, I hope that the hype doesn't get too out of control to where that ADP mm-hmm. rises crazily, but I don't think with the, that sort of um, committee with White so- with the White Sox and the uncertainty that it's going to get to the point where it gets too out of hand to where... Uh, I'll be. I'll likely get a share just to try and uh, buy back in. So I'll go with my uh, top sleeper for this season. And I've ref- I mentioned him at PitchCon. Actually, is my favorite. And right now it's Carlos Estevez with the Los Angeles Angels. We know that's another one of those same old committees. He's currently going at pit two ninety five on the NFBC. But it's as simple as this: he's getting out of Colorado, and that's obviously a huge thing when you get away from from that. He's been a much better pitcher on the road outside of Colorado and he's got the the pedigree to go through. He's got 95th percentile in terms of fastball velocity. His slider is actually in the 75th percentile in terms of PLV. So he's got a really hard fastball. His slider's been really good and he doesn't use it as much. I'd love love to see him use it a little bit more just based on that. But if you get two dominant pitches, something like that, you go to a team like the Angels, who we think they're going to be going for it again. They always get those uh, save opportunities. And I'm not going to let Jimmy Harrigan or Matt Moore get in the way in terms of that. I still think Estevez at 295 is a good value for an Angels team that we know is going to be going for it. We know they're going to be competing probably for a wild card, maybe for the West. But I'm very intrigued with that. And I think right now, with the money they gave him, the contract they gave him for two years, he they're paying him to try and get those saves. So I think that he ends the season as the leader and at this value. I'm fully in, on board on that. Yeah. I like, I like that call. I like the Reynaldo Lopez call. I feel like the only issue with both of them is just the, and I know I, I, Alex fast has an issue with like the, the angels and how they, you know, 
they don't do a great job developing pitching. And that's my only, like, I, I was so excited to see Estevez get out of Colorado and I was hoping he would go to a, a team that, you know, could just could figure him out. And maybe, maybe the angels make some changes this shoot this off season. Maybe they'll get the most out of Estevez, but, um, yeah, I still like him there as the closer because Jimmy Hur gets good. I I like him. He's just not he doesn't scare me as a as a real threat to take over any, you know, take that job over from Estevez. So, yeah, I I, I think that's a good call and same with Ronaldo. It's just I, I don't know if the White Sox exactly know what's what they're doing over there. It's been kind of a weird offseason for them. And I think Ronaldo makes the most sense as the closer, but I it's just, it's just, are the White Sox going to make the right decision? That's, you know, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. You look right now, and going back to Estevez before we move on, just based on that, I was able to pull it up. His FIP on the road was 4.5, on the home, excuse me, was 4.51 with a 5.51 XFIP. On the road, his FIP was a 3.64 with an XFIP of 3.02. Now, obviously, getting out of Colorado isn't anything. He's still got to be productive. But you look at that. You look at what people did. His BABIP was about... His batting average against was lower. On K per walk percentage, his K percentage almost doubled at home. Or on the road, excuse me. 16.8% at home compared to 90, 29.3% on the road. Same thing with the walk. It was about 9 percentage points higher at home compared to on the road. So... Everything points to a guy gets out of Colorado. Obviously, he's got a pitch, but going to the Angels, there's just a lot to like for me with uh with Estevez. Yeah, so we're I, gonna. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just say, yeah, everyone who's gotten out of Colorado has had some success, like at least initially. For, I mean, Ottavino and Jake McGee. I was just thinking, make Jake McGee when he got went from there to the Dodgers and had that huge year. It's yeah, it's definitely definitely a big plus for him. Yeah, so we'll move on to our next sleepers in just a moment. Jake, let's get to over to you. Who is your second favorite sleeper for this coming season? I'm going with a homer pick on this one with Trevor May. He's an offseason acquisition, and I think that sort of says a lot just because the A's don't like spending money. So the fact that they went out and spent money on a reliever says something that they trust him to pitch late in games. He really struggled last year pitching to a five plus ERA and a 1.44 whip, which is really not good. But we've talked about it at different points in this offseason. He was really unlucky last year and his underlying metrics are right in line with what they were in seasons past. And I think he also dealt with some injuries. He tossed only 25 innings. So there's definitely big bounce back potential for Trevor May. He's also a fun guy. You know, he streams, he's, he's got an online presence. I think that that adds to it. Obviously that doesn't shouldn't push up his, his draft day price at all. So we're in luck there. Nonetheless, he's, seems to not have too much competition there. I know it still seems up in the air. The A's have a lot of options in that bullpen, especially guys that have closed, but we've already seen one of the guys set to compete with him for that closer role leave. AJ Puck was already set to join the rotation, but there was a possibility that he didn't end up in the rotation and would be eaten at Trevor May's save chances. So right now I, I see May as the, the clear number one guy there. A lot of people are looking at at other guys in that bullpen, but I think May is the the clear one there. The only caveat is the A's are going to be really bad, unfortunately, so there won't be too many save opportunities for him. Nonetheless, I think that 
DAs are going to try to do their best to pump up his value so they can trade him at the deadline. And the best way to do that is to rack up those saves in uh, high leverage situations, show, show other teams what he's got still. And uh, yeah, um, feel pretty confident about that one, but you never know. The A's can uh, surprise you. Yeah, that's for sure. And we're going to get to another one of those names in a little bit. He's one of my, one of my favorite guys, but Rick, anything else you want to add with uh, Trevor May before and then get into your uh, next option? Uh, no, that's, I mean, that's, I, I can't believe how low he's, he's going yeah. because I don't, you know, even though it's the A's, you're still, and even if he gets traded at the deadline, that's still like, you know, 15 saves or so you're kind of, you might be missing out on. So yeah, I think he's going to want to get paid there and, you know, yeah, May's the guy who on, on PitchCon in our panel that I was, was my sleeper pick as well. He, I really think that he's a pretty safe choice. I know you have another name in mind that will another tease for later in the show, but um, I, I like made the most out of that, that bullpen. Yeah. He's my favorite. Since we're talking about it, I'll, I guess I'll probably be best for me to get into it. My next option is going to be Danny Jimenez and it's solely for value at pick 573. He is free in all your drafts and FBC it is free. And I, the only reason I'm throwing him in there and it's still very early but Jeff Zimmerman came out with his Mining the News article earlier this mm-hmm. month where the A's considered Danny Jimenez to be the favorite for saves. Now, like you said, Jake, this is the A's we're talking about. How many save opportunities is the favorite for saves in Oakland actually going to get before the trade deadline? Mm-hmm. I'm still with you guys. I'm fully in on Trevor May with that. But at 573, if you miss out on Trevor May, if you need saves late, why not take a shot on someone like him who did lead Oakland in saves last year if 11, who was kind of the late season option to go get those saves had 11 saves in 34 games. Nothing stands out. Nothing jumps off the page in terms of that. But if you're really looking for saves that late, I really like the value on this guy. And I think that, you know, hearing that stuff, we're going to have to obviously watch spring training, but if we don't hear too much more, I, maybe we see Trevor May in that fireman type role, even though we're paying him for that. And then you give it to Menez in the knife. I, I don't think it'll happen, but I think it late, round option if you really need saves I, I think that this guy can be a can be a value for you yeah there's already been some beat writers who have uh hinted at Jimenez too as the closer so you know as the only thing with him his fastball is just really not good if he can just <laughs> retool that and you know we've seen it happen before yeah you know just change the shape of it or you know make some some tweaks here and there and then all of a sudden you know he's a pretty reliable closer so yeah I mean at that price I don't see anything wrong with it at all Mm-hmm. He's he's definitely got the abilities to do so. We saw so at the beginning of last season, he had a lot of success. I think it was up until like near the end of May, he was pitching really well. And then I think he started dealing with injuries. But from the beginning of the season through May 25th last year, he had a 0.49 ERA and 10 saves across 18 and a third innings pitched. That's really good. If you're not familiar with baseball stats, a a sub 0.5 ERA is really good. So he's definitely got the stuff. They trusted him last year. He's seems like at at the very least, the number two guy in that bullpen because Zach Jackson didn't really get many saves last year. He, He seemed to thrive in a setup role and Domingo Acevedo was sort of the final guy they used at the end of the year, sort of because he was the last man standing. But 
I also read that same Jeff Zimmerman mining the news piece and that, that started to give me pause in my Trevor May love the fact that Mark Kotze or one of the beat writers would go out and just say that Danny Jimenez is the closer at this point in the offseason mm. after acquiring Trevor May is somewhat curious. So that's definitely going to be something to watch. I don't think we're going to be able to tell before the season starts. We might not even be able to tell until after the first month of the season is done. And with the A's being so bad, it's hard to take flyers on their relievers. But mm-hmm. the fact that Trevor May is going at pick 392 on average and Danny Jimenez is going five pick 573, it's there's there's no worries there that you're going to be wasting a pick. I don't even think Jimenez is going to be going in 15 teamers unless things change in that department. So definitely leaves room for value to be provided there because of how late they're going in draft. So you're not, shouldn't be scared at all. If you want to throw your darts at those guys Yeah, from one pretty bad bullpen to an even possible worse bullpen, we get to Rick's second sleeper and, I really do like this call. So, Rick, go into your uh, your next uh, favorite sleeper option for the year. Yeah, this is a little little bit of a deep deeper one, and I think in he's going right around. He's going after pick six hundred right now in in um, NFBC leagues, and that's that's Hunter Harvey, uh, who was able to finally kind of stay healthy and show us the, you know the the intriguing potential that we've always we we heard about for years, and he just never could you know stay on the field. So. You know, he, he got his, his velo was back last year. He was averaging 98.3 miles per hour. And that's, you know, that's a, definitely something you, you know, intrigues you when you look at closers. You want you want to see someone who's, you know, coming in and throwing 98 plus. Um, his secondaries definitely need some work still. Uh, his changeup was good last year, though. So that gives me that gives me some hope. Um you know, he, he's projected our projection system has him for a three, four, nine ERA and 1.17 whip and a 26.2% K rate, which if I will take that if he's especially if he's a- adding in saves um, and why I think he has a good chance to add in saves is the the Nationals are not committing to Finnegan as their clo- Kyle Finnegan as their closer. I believe I'm trying to here's the quote. Yeah, Davey Martinez has already asked about it and. You know, he he, he kind of talked up Finnegan as an eighth inning guy because he liked. He said, uh, "Let's see." The quote is: "Finnegan was our guy last year, and I love him in the back end of our bullpen. But it could be that we need him in the eighth inning, as we did sometimes. We've got some guys that have done really well. We've got some guys that we saw last year that can possibly pitch in the eighth and the ninth inning, so it's going to be open." So they, they in that same article they mentioned Harvey and Carl Edwards as potential closers. So. I think um, you know the national, just like the A's, Nationals aren't going to win a ton of games, but you're still looking at you know 15 or more saves if you do select or if you do draft whoever ends up being the closer there. So you know, basically free right now, and with you know the stuff that Hunter Harvey does hat does possess, I, I think he's worth it at you know the end of a draft. Great call. He, he's got tons of potential. I think he's got the best stuff in that bullpen by a, a wide margin. And if this is going to go into the conversation of a guy that's arbitration eligible and the, and the a team that's not really set to compete right now, doesn't want to pump up his arbitration price with a bunch of saves. The same can be said for Kyle Finnegan. He actually has less MLB service time than Hunter Harvey. So both of those guys are in the same boat in that front. 
I, I don't think Finnegan really did anything last year to secure his role this year. And if the Nationals want to sort of build towards the future, the smartest thing right now is to use a pitcher that has a lot of potential that you could sort of build into the closer of your future. So once you're ready to compete in two or three years from now, Hunter Harvey is that guy and maybe you extend him into your uh, competitive window. But as of now, I think the, the best thing to do is to sort of use the, the major league team as a development system, sort of what they're doing in the lineup right now with, with some of the guys that they've been bringing in like Dom Smith and Candelario and Jeter Downs and those kind of guys, just give guys the opportunity to reach their full potential. And I think that's what moving Harvey to the closer role would do. Yeah. Like I said, I really do like this call of nationals rick this was a team that you and i kind of went back and forth all season last year as to who the heck is this closer and do we really care but i think hunter harvey i didn't realize how hard his fastball was until we actually you know until we brought him up and i started doing a little more deep deep dive in him 97 percentile last year in terms of fastball velocity that's gonna play and we know but like i said you like the heart having a hard fastball he gets that secondary pitch there's gonna be something so i think at at an ADP that's free in every league. He's going past six, 600. Roster Resource has him as currently the seventh inning guy in Washington. So he's getting zero love, zero look throughout the throughout a lot of your leagues. So if you get desperate late, put a star next to this guy. I think that he could be a real good option in the back end of a, a bad bullpen, but he can really emerge. Or else we could be talking about non-roster invites such as Alex Colomay and Sean Doolittle. Mm. Like, that'll be fun. <laughs> but we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to dive into our final sleeper before we get into some more of our uh, some deeper names outside of that. Those guys before we move on to our our next topic. But we'll get right back with some extra sleepers here on the in the pen podcast. All right. So let's get right into our final uh, original sleeper before we get into some of our deeper, deeper names. But we'll start with. Jake, we'll give, kick it back over to you. Who is your third and uh, final sleeper for this year? A guy that we sort of discussed already. It's Sir Anthony Dominguez. He's been the apple of my eye for the last couple of years. I, I know I was high on him last offseason. Not as a, a guy that could clearly take over the closer, closer role, but more as a dark horse candidate. I did a uh, dark horse closer for every NL team last year, and this was the only one that hit. So, he made me look really smart, so I really like him now. Um, nonetheless, he was really good last year. He returned in full from Tommy John surgery after missing basically two and a half full years. And I was glad to see him come back with his velocity still intact. And he was really successful all season. He missed a very small amount of time with injury. And now it's just he's in a situation where he's got a lot of competition. Like I said, I don't want to belabor the point of him signing that extension, but it gives me some hope that the Phillies feel good about his future. And also, like I've stated in the past, it, it locks in his arbitration money so they don't have to worry about saves bumping up that price. But nonetheless, I think he is the best pitcher in that bullpen, and I think that should give the Phillies all, all the all the proof that they need to make him the closer. It does sort of give vibes of... We're going to use him as the fireman. But the fact that they do have so many other guys in there, like Gregory Soto, Craig Kimbrell, Jose Alvarado, they don't really have to worry about using, uh, not, not having enough guys to put out fires if they use Sir Anthony Dominguez in the ninth inning. 
And I think one thing that is really underrated with relievers is that they enjoy having set roles. I think everybody likes having that in their life, having a, a, a set job to do. Like you, you don't go into your own job and they just tell you what you're going to do that day, or you don't even know until it happens. So I think most people like to be able to mentally prepare and, and physically prepare for that kind of stuff. So locking a, a closer in for the season is probably the smartest way to go about that. And if you're going to choose the best guy to do that, it's Sir Anthony Dominguez. Yes. Uh, I mean, that uh, that last point you made, I don't think it gets mentioned enough, too, is that the, the these guys are, I mean, they're creatures of habit, too. They they want to know, they want to have at least some idea, you know, when they're going to be used and when they're going to go into the game, when they need to start getting ready. And, you know, back, you know, Mariano Rivera didn't even, no one had to tell him anything. He just knew when to get up and get ready. And, you know, that that's mm-hmm. part of what, you know, I think that leads, that definitely helps with, you know, success being able to set that sort of, you know, that set regiment. Um of you know when you're when you're going to be used in the game so yeah I, sir anthony's definitely i if i it was my pick i would like to see, i would have him as the closer I, uh, I just yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of options there but he's if you're going to take a chance on someone there i i get i understand why you take a chance on the best you know the best ability the best tools tools you know toolsy option that is in that bullpen yeah, we've, it's been only a couple shows since uh, spring training has started, and I feel like every show we're talking about the Phillies, and it's probably going to be most of yep. this season is what the heck's going on with the Philadelphia bullpen, I have a feeling, but uh, you know me, I'm still a Craig Kimbrell guy, I'm still thinking he's going to lead the team in saves, and he's even going later than Sir Anthony Dominguez, so he was someone I considered putting on my list, but like you guys have said, Sir Anthony Dominguez has the clear best stuff, so I think we're all in agreement that he should be the closer. But just based on how bullpens are used and how these managers do things, I, I still don't think he's going to lead the team in saves. But I'm happy to be wrong. And I, at that ADP, past 250, pick uh, 299, almost pick 300. It's worth a gamble. It's worth a gamble on anyone in this Philadelphia Philly bullpen. So I, I do like like the call. Rick, you're diving in more into some of these deep sleepers. You really, you really took the deep part of this uh, sleeper <laughs> exercise to the task. So, who is your final call and one of your favorite sleepers for this year? Well, I was, I mean, and we're gonna get to the, like the PL, some of our you know new PLV you know darlings and all those met the new metrics that we you know put out this week. And Michael King was kind of one of them that's that stood out, and it's it's almost it's you know. He's going after pick six hundred. I get it. He's pro- he's not going to open the year as the closer. There's there's almost zero shot that that happens. But you know, before his injury last year, he was still rostered in a lot of leagues just because of how good he was, like how how well mm-hmm. he was pitching. He was still, you know, with, and plus he was pitching you know two plus innings a, 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 an outing, which helped. But you know, he he was still helping ratios and racking up Ks. And now I have this idea and. I mean, so yeah, talking about PLV, his his curveball ranked in the top ten last year. Um, just you know, not 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 too shabby. Um, but yeah, he's coming off an, an elbow injury that at least he didn't need Tommy John. He didn't. It was a weird kind of fluky thing where it, it fr- fractured his elbow, and I'm not even sure exactly how that happens, but. Um, <laughs> He, you know, he's healthy. He's already throwing. He, he's going to be ready opening day. He's, 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 you know, and I've seen a lot of places say, well, he's going to be back to his multi-inning role. And I, I wonder if that's the smartest thing for the Yankees to do is to 
to you know bring him back and then throw him out, throw him right back out there to you know throwing, going two innings like every third day. And I, I don't I don't know if that makes the most sense if he, if he really is still dealing with this elbow injury. And you know it almost kind of reminds me of Ryan Helsley with the Cardinals last year. And they treated they were very conservative with him, but they still you know they would just you know here's your you're you're gonna you're the closer you're gonna get an inning you know when we need a save, not every save opportunity, because we're going to preserve you here. But, you know, I wonder if that makes some sense for the for the Yankees, because I, I I still think Clay Holmes is, he's good. He's, he struggled last year. I think he'll bounce back this year, but I almost like Clay Holmes is, you know, that a, a seventh, eighth inning setup guy who can get you out of a gym. Cause he, who there's, you know, no one else gets ground balls at a high rate. Like he does, you know, so you have that option to bring Clay Holmes into a game. If you need a ground ball, say you need to get out of a jam, your base is loaded, two guys on, you know, one out, you can bring Clay Holmes in, get a ground ball, get you out of that inning. Um, I like having that type of guy there. And it's not exactly like he thrived in the closer role. He, he you know, that's when he started to struggle a little bit. So just to probably, you know, it's not something to look at right now, but, you know, see how this thing plays out in April and May. And then, you know, King can maybe, even if you want to, if you're in a really deep league or like an AL only King can still help you out with ratios and case up until there might be a potential switch. Um, you know, depending on how things play out there, because there's not a ton of options behind Holmes either. I mean, Jonathan wise, had his issues last year as well. He, he does have, you know, had some injury concerns. So, um, and then there's only like Lou Trevino and, I don't think Ron Marinaccio's. Mar- I don't think he's going to end up. I, I don't think he really has a chance to factor into the saves mix there. He's probably deeper on the depth chart. So I, I think King's just a guy that, you know, we need to kind of remember how, how good he was last year and just someone to monitor and watch in, in most leagues for now. It's it's definitely a bet on skills. It, it's mm-hmm. hard to argue with how, how good he was last year, even on the with the underlying metrics, just uh, super good at getting swinging strikes at a CSW darling. I think he had the third best CSW amongst relievers last year at 36.7%. And that's across all his pitches. Like you mentioned, his curveball is possibly the best in baseball. That's uh, up for debate, but it's, it's really good, especially according to PLV. And it's hard for me to buy into him as a, as a saves candidate right now. Obviously, he's going after pick 650, which means you don't have to draft him, but keep an eye on him. This is clearly a guy that has a lot of potential in leagues where holds are like saves holds leagues. He's going to be getting holds early on. If not, he's going to be getting wins in a multi-inning role and with the possibility of getting saves in 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 place of Clay Holmes. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's tons of upside there clearly, and the the floor is pretty high because he's going to be locked into a a setup role or a multi inning role where he could also contribute well. And I think you you pointed out that he was on a lot of teams last year, even when he wasn't getting any saves. He had one save last year, but that multi inning role with his skills and his abilities is very valuable in a wide variety of leagues. Even as a Yankee fan, I got to a point like going into the season where I was trying, I'm mapping out my head. Okay, here's how the Yankee bullpen's going to go. It's going to be uh, Holmes and a knife. Lewis go pitch GA. They'll do a like Kane Lee Peralta mix. And all of a sudden, I looked I'm like, oh right, 
Michael King's here. I completely forgot how just it slipped my mind how dominant he was and how great he was. So I really do like this call as a uh, someone to monitor. I think Eve, like you said, even without getting the saves, if he doesn't take over the role, he'll be great in ratios. He'll get you to the wins. If he goes into that multi-inning role, if not, then he's going to be right there in that terms of setup hole and getting the ball to whoever does close games, whether it's Clay Holmes or Loisica or Kane Lee or whoever. It's weird going to see the Yankee fan not having that lockdown or Raldis Chapman or Andrew Miller in the back end where you know who's going to be getting the saves, but or you know he's going to be a top five, top ten closer. But it's exciting. I'm good. It's really nice to have King back because, like you said, he was one of the best relievers in all of baseball before he got hurt last season. So I'm excited to see him back and healthy. But my my final name I want to bring up in this portion. We've talked about him enough on the show as well, so it's you're gonna hear him his name probably multiple times. So it's Brandon Hughes. Last season, you look at his uh, sack half metrics. The contact was quality contact is a little rough. He was at near middle mid middle range in terms of hard hit percentage, average exit velocity. He was fourth percentile on barrel rate. That's not great. I mean, what he does struggle with command at times, but X batting average was top tiers in the seventy fourth percentile, eighty third percentile in K percentage. 91st percentile in whiff percentage, 78th percentile in chase rate. If he can just continue that, just settle this down, settle the walks down, he's got that closer type stuff that we look for. And we've mentioned the Cubs also as a team that has this up in the air bullpen. Is it him? Is it Boxberger? Is it Alzali? Is it anybody else in this pen? We don't know who's going to be taking this job in Chicago. And I think his stuff really plays and they've, added into that bullpen tour. The only concern I have with him at times is that he is a lefty and we've still struggled to see lefties take over and run with a closer job. And they brought in Michael Fulmer to compete as well. So while I'm hesitant because he's a lefty, I think just pure stuff wise, Brandon Hughes is right up there and his stuff does play in the closer role. So I think at pit that pass pick 400, he's a great value right now in your drafts. If you can take over a job for another team, kind of like the angels they are competing, they're going to be in, you know, middle of the pack in terms of close to right around 500. And that's going to be plenty of save opportunities there. And I think that Brandon Hughes can emerge for that job and uh, be someone you look for, especially if the Cubs don't contend and they trade pieces away and all of a sudden the job gets a little more clearer for Hughes. So I like his value at this point. And the stuff plays, just settle down the walks a little bit. And then we'll be talking about him in terms of uh, going into next season. Very excited. Yeah, I like him too as the, I think he's the most talented reliever on the opening day roster there. And he did, he did a great job. I mean, he finished the year. Usually it's like you finish the year as the closer and you do a good job. You know, you do a good job doing it. It's, it makes sense that you come back, especially when you don't spend a ton of money adding any, you know, bullpen pieces, it would make sense that he should be the favorite to, to come back as the closer there. But um, yeah, there's definitely a ton, ton of, ton of um, options for them to choose from. And, I wonder if he being the lefty and they have all these righties that they went out and added or, you know, even at, you know, Alzale is going to be in the bullpen as a, another righty option. And um, I wonder if he ends up getting moved into more of a setup role or a specialist, but yeah, it's um, I, I love, I love, you know, the potential there and after pick 400, it's, it's kind of a no brainer. Yeah. The handedness is definitely my biggest concern. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be super concerned if he was 
just like a lefty and trying to take over the closer role that that's mm-hmm. not too uncommon. But the fact that he's the only lefty yeah. in the, in the entire bullpen yes. is what has me leaning him not being the closer. And also if you look at ADP, he's going at pick four Oh eight, which is very late, but Michael firm Fulmer is going like pick four eighty four, which is even later. So would you rather have Fulmer at pick four eighty or Hughes at four Oh eight? Yeah. And that is a good call, but to have Fulmer's ADP, I still, I'm still gonna lean. Hugh, I gotta stick with Hughes because that's who I brought him up. But mm-hmm. for the value for Fulmer, he's another name you could have brought up. I, I think Fulmer is brought in more as the uh, kind of the A fittings uh, veteran type presence in that pen. He's gonna get some saves. I'm not denying that. Hughes isn't gonna take this job in front of it. I'm just going with the theory that we've kind of talked about. Talent play wins out. I know we talk about Hunter Harvey, how we talk about some of you guys, but talent's mm-hmm. going to play out here in Chicago. And I think David Ross liked Hughes last year, but it is concerning. It's the same thing we talked about with me liking Kimbrell over your Sir Anthony Dominguez pick. The Fulmer price is, is enticing too. We're going to end up doing a prediction show before the season starts, and yeah. we're all going to pick someone different from the Cubs, and then it's going to yep. be Rowan Wick who ends up there. Who was yeah. that team last year? It was one team that you and I were going back and forth, and there's some random guy got thrown in there. I'm uh-huh. blanking on it now. Yeah. but I'm sure it's more than one. I mean, yeah. That's... yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. So those are just some names to monitor. And before we move over to some of the fun with PLV that we kind of tease, we want to throw out a few more names. Rock obviously go as in depth as our two, our three favorites, but Rick, we'll start with you. Do you have any, like a couple, two, three names that you have there? We don't have to go as in depth, but guys you're monitoring. And you know, if you miss out on those or other names you want to put into this mix. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we'll start. I'll start, I guess with Chicago since we're talking about them. And I think, you know, add, you know, Adbarazel is another guy who I just think needs some attention because, similar to where Renato Lopez's transformation into the bullpen last year, I, I feel like the similar thing could happen here with Alzale. He's definitely, I think he's built more towards being a reliever. I think he could really thrive in that role. Uh, I guess the question is, is well, a there's a we as we talked about, there's a ton of you know names here, but also you know, is he being the starter turned reliever? Um, is he going to be more of a you know multi-inning middle relief option, whereas Boxberger and I mean Fulmer was a re- starter too, but in the last two years he's been a full-time reliever. So uh, it, that's some that's a name to watch. I think um, you know we talked about Craig Kimbrough a little bit, and I guess we we should just throw him out there as he's still I I still kind of I'm with you, Callan. I think that just being the veteran, being the guy who wants to be the closer, I think that gives him the leg up as the, the, you know, getting the first chance to close out games there. Um, and his, his value hasn't really, it's still, he's, he's still, you know, going post pick two fifty. So definitely, you know, worth a shot and, you know, hoping that his skills don't drop off dramatically. Um, and then, yeah, I'll give you a third name and Joe in Arizona, we haven't talked about. So Joe Mantiply, I think he's, the name that you know Andrew Schaefen's in there now, so they have another lefty that they can turn to earlier in the game if they want. Um, so why not turn to their their, their 2022 All Star and give him a chance to close out games for um, you know a team that could could kind of surprise a little bit. I think they they could win you know maybe not 90 games, but you know 70 plus 80 maybe if, if you know things things go right with, with you know the player development. 
Jake, we'll try to move over to you. Who are some other names you want to throw in this mix as uh, guys you're monitoring or maybe even targeting at some point in Drew drafts? I've sort of loaded up. I, I got four guys, so I'll, I'll go through them quickly. AJ Puck, I mentioned earlier, having left the Oakland bullpen slash rotation, moving to Miami where they don't have a clear co- closer and Puck closed the games last year. He's got a lot of potential. I think he could definitely take some saves away from the top guys in that bullpen, which are like Tanner Scott and Dylan Floro don't have too much confidence in them. They're, they're both sort of have their flaws and puck has a lot of potential and the Marlins are looking for something, somebody to anchor that bullpen. I think puck could do that. Bruce Dark Gratterall in a Dodgers bullpen that is sort of in flux right now has always had closer stuff. He's always seemed like the closer of the future. It is currently that future right now. This might be the year that Bruce Star finally takes over that closer role and runs away with it for the next few years or so. But it's, it's hard to buy into that fully because they have some solid arms there that we've already discussed this episode. The, and the, uh, rivals to the Dodgers, uh, the Giants are, are employing Taylor Rogers, who they acquired this offseason. They've been looking for a way to sort of take the load off Camilo Doval. I still think Doval's the favorite here, but Taylor Rogers is going really late. They gave him a lot of money. He's got the experience of closing games, and I still think he's really good. He got lu- unlucky last year. He could really blow up for a Giants team that has the potential to win a ton of games. I, I think they're even a step up above the Diamondbacks. So if Rogers takes the closer role for himself or even split saves. I think he could be really valuable and sort of in the same vein of, of splitting saves on a team that's going to be good. Giovanni Gallegos has split the closer role for the last couple of years. 2021, it was with Alex Reyes. 2022, it was with Ryan Helsley. I don't think he's the best guy in the bullpen. I think Helsley is clearly better, but Gallegos has always been in that late innings mix. He's very reliable at closing out games. I think the Cardinals have a lot of confidence in him, so he will definitely take his fair share of saves. I don't think Kelsey gets a lot of them. It really depends on how much they they want to limit him again this year, but Gallegos will definitely be somewhat of a factor in that Cardinals bullpen. Yeah, and I'll wrap it up with one of my favorite very late options, and it's Miguel Castro with the Arizona Diamondbacks. It's a mess in Arizona. We have five or six guys we could put on this list in terms of who's going to lead Diamondbacks, and we'll predict who's going to lead the Diamondbacks in saves, and it may be Castro. But according to PLV, his slider is a money pitch. It's above of a 5.5% or quality pitch, excuse me, based on our terminology. All the talk about Castro has always been he has that stuff to close. He always has good clothes. He's got the velocity. It's just holding down his walk percentage. You put him with Brent Strom, who's widely considered one of the best pitching coaches in Major League Baseball. I think you can unlock something with Castro. Maybe he doesn't get you in saves, but like you said, Rick, the Diamondbacks are going to be a surprising team. I think they can hover around 500 this year. So again, save opportunities. He could get to the eighth inning roll, get some holds whoever leads in. So if you're looking for someone you want to try and if you need your holds, I think Miguel Castro could be a name to monitor. My last two names, they're boring, but they're veterans and they're always going to be in the conversation. I feel like we're back in 2017. Same team, Mark Melanson, we're all excited about Kevin Ginkle, Scott McGow, uh, Castro, Chafin, Mantiply. It's going to be a boring veteran, Mark Melanson. Maybe he leads the team in saves. So going later and pick 400, he's going to be out there. And I put him on the list and you guys, I rolled and threw up and we've talked nothing but uh, poor things about him and because I don't exactly like him. But if you need saves, Arald Shaman might get some saves in Kansas City. 
I'm just saying, he, you know, it sounds like that they're going to be using Salmont to lead it, but Chapman Cohen currently a pick 337. There might be something there. Would it really shock you if the type of uh, contract he signed, we talked about last week that he competes for saves in Kansas City and they use Barlow as kind of a fireman, higher leverage guy. He's clearly the best, but you know, Chapman's the type of guy who, who needs to get his saves, so it wouldn't shock me if he's uh, in there in Kansas City. And if you want to take a shot late, I'm not going to blame you. Yeah, I agree with all of those that you guys said. Um, yeah, Arizona is going to be it's another one just like Chicago. If I, I just, we're all, probably going to all pick three different people and it's going to be the fourth guy who gets the most saves this year. <laughs> yep, probably. And I'm not I'm not looking forward to trying to pick it, but we'll get into it in a few weeks. We're going to be predicting this and see how wrong we can really, really be. But we'll take one final break and we get back. We're going to get some fun with PLV. All that came out. We're going to talk about a couple standouts in terms of that NVPL projection system. Kind of some names that stand out that have kind of given us a little eye raise as someone to monitor or someone you're really intrigued about. So we'll get right, right into this in just a moment on the In the Pen podcast. All right, so let's get into some of the PLV insights. As you know, go to PitcherList.com. Nick just came out with an amazing article outlining what PLV is. It's a new stat where to determine the quality of pitches. It's really great. We've referenced it in the show, and it's really helped me through my research as I get ready for draft season. So definitely something you want to check out to know what, what it is and how we're using it moving forward. So a couple guys, we have a bunch of guys on a list of the best relief pitchers. We'll start with you, Jake. What's your biggest standout? You know, in terms of either who's ranks high in PLV, if it's a specific pitch, what's kind of something in your initial digging into this that's kind of stood out to you? I think I'm just gonna go and echo a guy that I just talked about in Bruce Dargraderall. He's a PLV darling, based mostly on his sinker, which has been his go-to pitch for many years. It's partially because he throws it incredibly hard. He's one of the hardest throwers in all of baseball. He does it really effortlessly as well. He's the He's got the third fastest fastball velocity in all of baseball amongst relievers. It's a 99th percentile sinker velocity. He, he's really good. I, I think he could use some more off-speed pitches. He, he needs to get more strikeouts, but We've always thought that because his stuff is so good, he's going to start to garner more strikeouts. That may never come. Nonetheless, he's still been really successful. And the fact that he's not only in the top 10 amongst all relief pitchers in PLV overall, but also the fact that he has the best sinker by PLV really uh, speaks to the fact that Bruce Dark's got incredible stuff. I, I, he passes the eye test, but he also passes the PLV test. So that gives me even more confidence to sort of take him as a, as a dark horse guy this year, especially now that he's got an even clearer path to the closer role. But in leagues where you're playing with saves plus holds, Bruce Dark Ratterall should be an elite option. The only thing he's missing is strikeouts. And, you know, those could come at any point with the kind of stuff that he's blowing out of his arm. Rick, what about you? What stood out in your initial digging into this uh, this data that we've, we've gotten? Yeah, I think, you know, Gratterall is a good call. Definitely someone who this loves. And I, you know, it's good to see, you know, some sort of some sort of metric to take his his sinker for what it is. And it's yeah, it's not a strikeout pitch. So that's why he doesn't show up on a lot of other, you know, leaderboards. But um, 
it's still an, just a nasty, like, you know, you're going to beat that thing into the ground and, you know, you're going to ground out all day against him. So, yeah, it's it's still a lot of value with him. Um, a couple, of, I mean, Kimbrough's on, on this top 20 list, and I think that's interesting. Maybe there's there's still hope for him. Um, but another another Philly, you know, reliever who I, I've I've liked for a while and he gets pretty much no attention and he's not going to close out games. But Connor Brogdon, um, another I, I just think goes to show you that that bullpen again is going to be very, very deep one through one through seven. So, you know, Brogdon gives him another, you know, plus reliever option behind, you know, the names we've already talked about. Um, and, you know, Caleb, <clears throat> Caleb Dealbar all the way up here, too. Uh, in between Paul Seawald and AJ Minter is is it definitely sticks out. That's you know the, the twin uh, twins are another bullpen where I think you know one through seven is it's really there's not a lot of you know f- guys that you can you know say hey there's the weak spot. It's 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 a very deep deep bullpen for the twins. Um, so yeah, those are some of the names that really kind of caught my eye. And I, I have to say, kind of as the as the Red Sox guy here. <laughs> it's seeing Ryan Brazier. Everyone, I'm pretty sure, ninety percent of Red Sox Twitter wants Ryan Brazier to be DFA'd, and you know, seeing him on this top twenty list, it, it kind of goes to show you what the what the Red Sox front office is looking at, and you and you know, just like if, if they, they did DFA him and he went to, it probably end up with the Rays, and he'd have a, a monster year there with you know a sub two ERA and twenty five holds, so. Uh, it's good. I guess it's good to see him on this list and give me some hope for for a bounce back for for Brazier in the Red Sox bullpen. Yeah, I'll take the Yankee homer, and you talked about it in uh, his talk about Michael King having the best curveball by PLV. That makes me smile. It, it's very nice to to see that. I'm trying to see he's gonna get back, but for me, I'm just gonna continue to go on a guy who I've been fully in on off season. Continue to tell you why how good he is. Pete Fairbanks is number one relief pitcher by PLV. And if you don't think he's going to be leading the Tampa Bay Rays in the saves, continue to look at these numbers and see how good he is at just having that. It's confirmation bias. I don't care. I've been all in on Pete Fairbanks. I love the value he's going out in drafts. I will have him in a lot of leagues. I'm very excited for him. So seeing that and getting the confirmation of how good I really think it's been, I think he is. It's been nice. And another thing, it's another one who's going right around for your Pete Fairbanks. It's the Andres Minos, Paul Seawald. Uh, mm-hmm. tier. And Munoz is the third best pitcher by PLV. That's great, right? Well, look at Paul Seawald. He is also in the top 10, so mm-hmm. it's a good situation to have your Seattle when you have two guys in terms of PLV uh, up there, so that's not going to make things an easier decision for you, but it's giving me some more data to throw for towards uh, who's going to lead their teams and save, so I was very excited to see Fairbanks up there. I'm excited to see two Seattle guys up there, but that was a big standout to show at someone that I've been in on and pick think will lead saves the data backs up potentially up to. Yeah. I'm starting to love Paul Seawald's value too, but with like mm-hmm. the, 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 you know, the inflation, the inflated Munoz price. And I, and I get it. He's like one of the best, possibly that's the most talented reliever in the game. But, um, you know, Seawald's still, I think the, the favorite for, for saves there. And he's going after him and he's, it's not like he's not, He's still a top ten, you know, reliever. So, um, yeah, that's he's starting to become a value and around that same, yeah, that same area where Fairbanks is. There's, there's, you know, I want to get at least one of those, one of those guys. I think. 
Jake, anything else uh, standing out for you, either through PLV or uh, moving on to the PL projections? Anything, any other names you want to throw out there because of that? I think uh, Rick mentioned the most surprising name. I think Brazier's really surprising, but Keegan Aiken is also really surprising. Yeah. PLV loves him for some reason. He was very good in the in the first half of last year, sort of filling a multi-inning role, which is something that I love in my home league that limits games started. I'm always looking for guys that can do that. But I never thought of Keegan, Keegan Aiken as, as an elite pitcher, mm-hmm. and never did I think that his fastball was the pitch that was driving that, a, a pitch that sort of comes in at the mid-90s, 93 and a half miles per hour, doesn't really do a whole lot. It's like a 35% CSW pitch, which is really good, but it doesn't get a crazy amount of swing and misses. It's 85th percentile on swinging strike rate, but you know, some fastballs are much better than that. And somehow it still rates out as the best fastball amongst relievers with a minimum of 400 pitches thrown last year. I think if you put the minimum down just a little bit down to like 250 pitches, Pete Fairbanks passes him. And so does junior Fernandez, uh, a side note on Fernandez. I've been really disappointed to see him <laughs> jump around so many teams because I don't know if you guys remember when we were talking about guys that have really good fastball yeah. velocity sort of at the beginning of the offseason. That was the one guy that I sort of singled out as, you know, the next sort of Ryan Helsley guy that if he gets the opportunity, just having that velocity could give him a, a big run. So that, that's another guy that PLV likes in the fastball department. But Keegan Aiken, pretty crazy that he has the f- best fastball amongst relievers with a, a large enough sample uh, as a guy that's not pumping gas or, or having a ton of movement on his pitch. I, I, or I wonder what it is. It yeah. gives you reason to look into him, especially with the Felix Batista news. If Batista misses time, we talked last week, how I think Michael Givens is going to be the, the go-to guy, but you know, don't sleep on Keegan Aiken. I think that makes, uh, you know, it's making me dig into him a little bit more in terms of that pen. If Bautista does miss some time to start the year, maybe one of those late guys you're starring on the watch list. And if he picks up a save or appears in the eighth inning, maybe you grab him, throw him out there. But I'm sorry, Rick. I, I know I cut you off there. So is there anything else you wanted to add there? No, that's, yeah, I, that is, it is a very interesting, you know, with Aiken. Um, I think it goes to show, I think the, the Orioles have um, a deep. I mean, once again, their bullpen was really good last year and this year, and I, I, I really think it's going to be the, the strength for them. As uh, again, even I think it looks, it sounds like Batista is going to be fine. So that's hopefully a bullet dodge there. But um, yeah, I, I want to bring up another Orioles reliever, I guess, and t- t- or probably going to end up in the bullpen. Tyler Wells, um, who was you know he had a really. I remember the Browns. Not this time last year, but you know, la- like you know, December of 2021 or whatever, we were we were trying to figure out who's going to close out games for the Orioles, and I think t- I'm pretty sure Tyler Wells was like the favorite at that point, and then they decided to move him into the rotation, and you know, he got hurt. It didn't really work out with him in the in, in the rotation, but um, his changeup really played, you know, 1.75 PLA for, on on Tyler Wells' changeup. <laughs> um, one of the top, top 10 pitch by, you know, PLV metrics. So if he moves back into the bullpen, which he's projected to right now, you know, if he gets, you know, he can get his fastball back up into the mid nineties um, with his size, he's six, eight, he gets, you know, his fastball plays up even more. Um, so that fastball changeup combo, and I'm not saying he's going to close out games for the Orioles, but 
you know, he could be another name to look at for holds leagues and especially with, you know, a couple other names in that bullpen banged up right now. Yeah. If you want to dive, get into this info more, go to pitchlist.com, look at PLV, look at our PL projections. It's a, like I said, an invaluable tool as you get ready for your draft season. It's a lot. Of, it's fun data to look into. I've got myself lost in there once or twice since it's come out, and I'm sure we'll be referencing a lot throughout the season. But before we wrap things up, I want to just ask one final question. Like we said at the beginning of the show, spring training games start on Friday, the 24th. By the time you're listening to this podcast, spring training games will be on that day. So as we go into, you know, we'll have our week off for next uh, next show. But as we get to next week is there one or two guys who you're trying to monitor closely obviously it's very unpredictable when they will pitch but is there someone who once you know they're going to be pitching you're going to be monitoring closely to just see how they look going into spring and jake will start with you is anybody who kind of stands out as you want to watch pitch uh, as we get going here in spring um trying to come up with on the spot um i think a lot of the uh sleepers that we talked about are, are guys to consider i'm, I'm trying to uncover some injured guys mm-hmm. out of my brain that I can't really recall right now, but any guys that's, that's coming off injury that, you know, we, we haven't seen in a while. We sort of want to see their stuff. I think the first name that's sort of sneaking up in my mind is Garrett crochet. We haven't seen him in a while. He had incredible stuff before undergoing Tommy John surgery. I don't know if he's going to be pitching quite yet. That's the only thing that is holding me back from saying that name with uh, more certainty, but he's definitely a guy that, relied on velocity so that that's somebody that you want to be seeing the velocity return as he returns from tommy john surgery but yeah i i would have to think about that that question some more but definitely those the sleepers that we discussed this episode are guys that i'll be monitoring for sure rick anyone for you now you had a couple seconds to think since i kind of sprung (laughs) this on you guys uh i don't i'm not gonna i don't have any names but like just like jake said the guys that are you know that have had injury concerns or there's you know just seeing what they what they look like um seeing where velocity readings are at for guys coming back from injury or dealing with anything nagging um you know that's always you know something to look out for at this point in spring training um and then you know it's it it just seeing if anyone's added something to their repertoire. Uh, it's more of a thing for, you know, looking at starting pitchers, but relievers, I mean, relievers still do, you know, tinker and add things. And, you know, I, I would definitely, you know, it just popped into my head as Ryan Presley started throwing a changeup last year in the, in the play in the playoffs. And it was nasty. And is he going to, is that change up? Gonna, is that still, is that like, you know, here moving forward that that's something to, uh, I guess something to look at, look look forward to if if that's true. Yeah, and, and one thing I'm going to add to is something I'm looking out for, and maybe a name to throw in there too: the pitch clock. We're going to get our first look at how the pitch clock does. Any relievers yep. that are affected by that, and immediately we've talked about it. Kenley Jansen's a name that's going to stand out to me immediately. I would love to see how he how he's impacted by it. Obviously it's early, so people are still getting adjusted to it, but getting to see it in live action, I want to get a good feel as to is there anyone whose early outings that caught, gives you some sort of rise or some concern? So outside of all the great things you guys said with uh, watch those guys coming back from injuries, their velocities, keep an eye on the pitch clock and see if anyone stands out in terms of uh, um, if they're being affected by that. Obviously, early in spring training, a lot of people are going to. You just can't take a lot of a lot out of the earlier outings, but let's see how pitchers are affected by that and uh, if anyone's 
slow delivery delivery makes it a gives you cause for concern. Yeah, for sure. Definitely with relievers too. And I I don't know if you guys caught um Nick and Alex interviewed Cole Irving um the other day and you know, listening to he's kind of he brings up a good point in that he like he likes the pitch I mean, he's fine with the pitch clock. He works fast and he thinks this is gonna possibly, you know, you know, annoy hitters more than pitchers because hitters aren't allowed to step out and, you know, they have to stay in the box now. So, you know, I, I hear a lot of, you know, how are pitchers going to handle the pitch clock? But yeah, I, I think hitters too are going to have some sort of negative effect, you know, at least for some of them. Yeah, it's just difficult to identify which ones because mm-hmm. we don't keep track of how long it yeah. takes them in between pitches to get back in the box <laughs> and get ready. So it's yeah. it's really difficult. Um, you'd have to really study a lot of film to oh, see yeah. which guys uh, undo and, and, and re-latch their batting gloves <laughs> more often than others because that seems to be all anybody ever does. But yeah, that's uh, it'll be interesting. Um yeah, I don't know. I feel like batters are pretty good at making adjustments. They they should hopefully be able to adjust to that. But we'll, we'll definitely have some funny moments this uh, spring training. I'm sure there's going to be more than a few guys that forget about the, <laughs> the restrictions by the pitch clock. Yeah, for sure. No yeah. more. No more yeah, would have had a. Uh, I would have hated this. <laughs> that would have been someone immediately that would have been like, okay, this is not going to work out. But um, he was a little, little early into my baseball. Pl- watching days but yeah this is um it's gonna be interesting and i'm excited to get baseball back excited to tune in and watch some live baseball i might have to i won't be able to get out of work early to watch it but you know this weekend maybe some spring games and catch my yankees and see how uh jason dominguez looks in his first live action so i'm looking forward to looking forward to that but that's gonna wrap us up here on the independent podcast i am callan joined as always with rick and jake and we will see you next week